You're listening to the Finding Christ in the Old Testament series, preaching by Pastor Rick Dressler at Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. First Samuel chapter 15. Let's, uh, let's have a word of prayer this morning and we'll begin our text if we can. Let's pray. Father, we love you this morning. We thank you for your goodness and grace. I thank you for quieting our hearts with the song that was just sung, reminding us of your amazing grace, your goodness. It amazes us this morning. And Lord, I pray that as we look to your word today, as we try to give an accurate view of who you are, that you would be glorified, that you would be honored with what's said and done. Lord, we're surrounded with chaos at times. And Lord, even this morning with so many things happening and, 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 and all that's swirling around us, I pray now, Father, that you would quiet our hearts I pray that, that your word would be clear, it would be powerful. God, I know that you're here this morning. We do know that. And Lord, we know that you're at work. And Father, I just pray that we would be sensitive to what you're doing in our lives. I pray that you bring us into a fuller understanding of who you are. And Lord, I pray this morning that because of what we hear from your word and what we experience together, that you would be honored and glorified. Spirit of God, we need you today. We, we just need you. And so, Lord, I pray for clarity of thought. I pray for power. I pray for boldness. I pray that I could be a vessel that you could use today. Lord, we love you. And we ask these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know if this has happened for you as a child or you've had children that this has happened to but every one of my, my boys, there was a time in their life when we would make a statement to them and we'd say something like this, uh, I'm sorry, we don't have enough money for that. Okay? We, we, we found ourselves saying it quite often early in our lives. Right? And almost every one of them would come to a place in time where they'd say, no problem, let's just go to the bank and get money out of the machine. Right? Don't you wish it worked like that? And they just believed that once you showed up to a bank, you just walked in there and you went to the ATM and you just had this magical card that when you put it in, money would just flow from it. Boy, that'd be great, wouldn't it? It doesn't work like that. And in their, in their immaturity, in their childishness, um, they just thought that that was the way it went. That sort of money just flowed from these machines. They didn't realize that you had to have a bank account, you had to have a card, and you had to have money in the bank. All right? That's how that works. Years ago, we were on vacation in Florida with my in-laws. And, and our vacation is really casual. We try to just fish and then fish and then fish. That's what we, we do as a family. Right? It's a good thing. The Lord was a fisherman. He, he hung out with fishermen. So I have no problem with that. And, and, our, and our system was that we'd, we'd fish most of the day and then come home and, and grab an early dinner every now and then, and we'd go out as a family. And I don't know how old David was. He must have been about five, maybe six. But we came back, we got cleaned up, and David said, hey, listen, I'm going to buy dinner tonight. That was a good deal. I mean, that's always a great deal. I said, sure, that's great. We'll let you buy dinner tonight. And so we go out to Carabas. We're sitting there. And David, at five or six years old, says, listen, it's on me. Get whatever you want. 
And, and he's just really, he's into this, man. It's like, I'm, I got it covered. I got it covered. And I didn't know what he was thinking, but we went along with it. And sure enough, everybody ordered exactly what they wanted. So the waitress comes at the end of the meal, and she brings in this bill, and, and David sort of just grabs the bill from her, and he reaches in his wallet, and his papa had given him a plastic card. It was a Bass Pro card. It, it wasn't a credit card, but, but he believed it to be a credit card. And so he popped on the table and gave it to the waitress, and then I realized that I was stuck with the bill. Okay? Because it doesn't work that way, right? Um, they're just children, and they're, they're immature in their thinking. And, and the truth is, you pray and hope that as they grow up, they understand how this works. Because if they don't understand how this works, they could be in real trouble, as some of us can attest to. Right? It's good for your children to work and labor and get paid by the hour, because then they understand that money just doesn't come out of machines, I work, and if I worked eight hours and it was that hard, and I only made eight dollars, that's a good dad, then I'm not going to spend this money, right? I have to understand this. And when it comes to credit, how that works, it's important. And if they don't grow up and understand fully, certainly they will be at a disadvantage. And some of us, again, could attest to that this morning, that I wish I wasn't such a child in some of these areas. I wonder this morning for us, and I'm, I'm talking in particular to believers today, if we are a little immature in our understanding of who God is, if, if, we, if we don't really, and again, listen, I know that God is inscrutable, right? We, we say that. He's inscrutable. It means we cannot find Him out. He is God. He is omnipotent. He is all-knowing. He is all-powerful. From everlasting to everlasting is God. And I understand that we will never, ever fathom Him. We will spend an eternity getting to know Him. But I wonder sometimes this morning if, if the way we read our Bibles, if the way we comprehend God is somewhat childish. And we've not allowed ourselves to see a bigger picture, a fuller revelation of who He is. And I'm concerned this morning that if we neglect some of these areas that we like to pass over or to ignore or, or not to think about, then our, our view of God will be skewed. And we will not be strong and mature in our faith. And we will miss out on knowing God, this side of heaven, like we can. This morning we come to 1 Samuel 15. I have to be honest with you. This text, I have mixed emotions about it because in, in 1 Samuel 15, it's a great narrative. There is so much here about God and who He is and Saul and Samuel and human nature. We'll see it in just a moment about how we blame people for everything, how that's not good. I mean, there's, there's so much. And I love narrative. I love to go through the Word of God, especially the Old Testament, and tell the story. It's, I love it. I love doing that. But I read this chapter this week over and over again, and, and I want to do the narrative parts, but, but I just don't think we can get there. And so here's what I'd like to do this morning. I'm not going to preach like I normally do. Some of you are thinking, thank God we've been waiting so that you don't preach like you normally do. I want you to help me this morning. I'm going to read the entire chapter. I'm going to do my best not to make any comments. It's going to be really hard for me. 
It's a great story. There's some humorous things in here. Um, there's some amazing, some amazing insight on Saul and, and how he worked. But I want you to think with me this morning critically. As I read, I want you to look, to listen, to hear. And here's what I want you to do. As we read this chapter, I want you to think if there's a problem with anything that you're reading. If we find something in here and you say, man, that's weird, that's strange, that really troubles me. Okay, I want you to do that. And, and when we're done reading, I want to talk about it. Okay? So this is a portion that you cannot fall asleep in. I want you to listen and pay attention. Look with me, if you would, at 1 Samuel chapter 15. Samuel also said unto Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint thee to be king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore hearken thou unto the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I remember that which Amalek did to Israel, how that he laid wait for him in the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and spare them not, but slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and ass. And Saul gathered the people together and numbered them in Telaim, 200,000 footmen and 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to a city of Amalek and laid wait in the valley. And Saul said to the Kenites, Go, depart, get you down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For ye showed kindness to all the children of Egypt or Israel when they came out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites. And Saul smote the Amalekites from Hevelah unto thou comest to Shur, that is over against Egypt. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive, and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the rest of the sheep and of the oxen and of the farlings and the, the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them, but everything that was vile and refuse that, that they destroyed utterly. Then came the word of the Lord unto Samuel, saying, It repenteth me that I have set up Saul to be king, for he has turned back from following me and hath not performed my commandment. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried unto the Lord all night. And when Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning, it was told Samuel, saying, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set him up a place or a monument for himself, and has gone about and passed on and gone down to Gilgal. And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said unto him, Blessed be thou of the Lord, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. And Samuel said, What meaneth then the bleeding of the sheep in mine ears, and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? And Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites, where the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God, and the rest we have utterly destroyed. Then Samuel said unto Saul, Stay, or zip it. And I will tell thee what the Lord hath said to me this night. And he said to him, Say on. And Samuel said, When thou wast little in thine own sight, Wast thou not made the head of the tribes of Israel? And the Lord anointed thee king over Israel. And the Lord sent thee on a journey and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Therefore, or wherefore, when thou 
didst not obey the voice of the Lord, but didst fly upon the spoil, and didst evil in the sight of the Lord. And Saul said unto Samuel, Yes, or yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord, and have gone the way which the Lord sent me, and have brought Agag, the king of, the king of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the chief of things which should have been utterly destroyed, to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God in Gilgal. And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. And Saul said unto Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and thy words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now therefore I pray thee, pardon my sin and turn again with me, that I may worship the Lord. And Samuel said unto Saul, I will not return with thee, for thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord hath rejected thee from being king over Israel. And as Samuel turned about to go away, he laid hold upon the skirt of his mantle, and it rent. And Samuel said unto him, The Lord hath rent the kingdom of Israel from thee this day, and hath given to a neighbor of thine that is better than thou. And also the strength of Israel will not lie nor repent, for he is not a man that he should repent. Then he said, I have sinned, yet honor me now, I pray thee, before the elders of my people and before Israel, and turn again with me that I may worship the Lord thy God. So Samuel turned again after Saul, and Saul worshipped the Lord. Then said Samuel, Bring ye hither to me Agag, the king of the Amalekites, and Agag came unto him delicately. And Agag said, Surely the bitterness of death is past. And Samuel said, As thy sword hath made women childless, so shall thy mother be childless among women. And Samuel hewed Agag in pieces before the Lord in Gilgal. And Samuel went up to Ramoth, and Saul went up to his house to Gilead of Saul. And Samuel came no more to see Saul until the day of his death. Nevertheless, Samuel mourned for Saul. And the Lord repented that he had made Saul king over Israel. And that's the chapter. So, any problems? I'm going to say, I got some problems with that chapter. That really, there's some problems there. Anybody? Okay, a few. Good, okay. What's the problem? Bruce? All right, God says, wipe out the Amalekites. Utterly destroy them. And, and, and it's, he says there, every man, woman, and child. Hmm? It's a problem. What else is a problem there? Any other problems? Mary. It seems like a really mean thing to do. Thank you for your honesty. It does. Really mean. Yes, Eva. This is, this is some insight on Saul. Saul blames everybody else. We'll talk about that in a couple of weeks. But it's not my fault the soldiers took these things. And you're right, Saul was blaming everybody else and never took responsibility himself. I don't want to preach a message this week, but people who are good at blaming everybody else are never good at anything else. Just tuck that away for a couple of weeks. We'll get there. Any other problems with this text? Yes, sir. He does not repent, speaking of the Lord, and then he repents. That's a problem. Okay. Anything else? Yes, Susan. 
Right? Exactly right. Again, some insight onto Saul there, concerned about appearance. Didn't care about his sin, but wanted everything to be cool with everybody around him, so they thought he was okay. Good. Joanne? Saul didn't care about disobeying God's command. Good. Good. Anything else? All right. God bless you. We'll, we'll go home now. All right? Jenny? Yeah. It's interesting. You see, when Saul talks about God to Samuel, he says, The Lord, your God. There's no personal relationship there. It's, it's your God. Not my God. Your God. So this, this, this chapter has some real problems. Let, let me pick the two that I think are the greatest. First off is this. God tells Saul to wipe out the Amalekites. In verse number 3 of chapter 15, we, we have the command there. It says, utterly destroy Devote to destruction. We use the word ban. It means to devote. It's, it's something that's left to God and God alone. Okay? This is not the first time we hear these words. If you're familiar with the Old Testament, you've heard these before in Joshua, the conquest of Canaan. But when we hear these words, I don't know about you, but when I hear these words, they always trouble me. So what do we do with them? What do we do with this? Well, we have some options. The first thing we do is ignore it. I like that option. We can just say, you know what? I'm just going to ignore that. We're just going to keep on reading and just gloss right over that and act as if it's not a problem. We can do that. I was talking to one of my friends the other day, and we are talking about this text. And I said, what do you think about this? He said, I'm New Testament. I don't care about that. And he was joking, being facetious, and we laughed because that's how I think. I don't care. It's a, I'm New Testament guy. Uh, the Old Testament is the Old Testament. We could ignore it. We could minimize it. Some of us are very good at reading some of this and saying, Hey, God is sovereign. Now listen to me. He is. And God is in the heavens and He hath done whatsoever hath pleased Him. And He has. But sometimes we say that and we say it so we don't have to think about anything. Is God sovereign? Yes. Does He do what He pleases? Yes. Is this problematic for me? Yeah. It still is. I'm being honest with you. I think it's a problem. I think it's problematic to minimize it. And let me, I don't have to defend God. I know that. He doesn't need me to defend him. And, and I am finite and I live, if I live for a hundred years, what's that in light of eternity? I don't know the end from the beginning. I get all that. But we're really careful. Sometimes we minimize this and we miss a great opportunity to understand our God. Okay? Or we can acknowledge this. Let me ask you this morning, if you're here, when you read that about the Amalekites, how many of you, that really does trouble you? I mean, you are really, and don't be embarrassed if it doesn't, it doesn't. How many folks, it troubles you? Okay. How many folks, it doesn't trouble you? Okay, good. Okay. Some of you don't. You guys are cold-hearted, man. I don't know who you are. No, I get it. I do get it. We'll get there. Okay. We talked about this years ago, and I, it was in church, and I said, I made the same, asked the same question. And a dear sweet woman, about 96 years old, as soon as I said, how many of, this, how many of you are troubled by this, raised her hand. It was Marjorie Carr. And, she, and later on I talked to her and said, this passage has always troubled me my entire life. Okay? So, let's talk about this. L- let me say a couple of things. I, I think the real problem here is, and, and it's, it's been brought up, and I think we can connect this, that, that somehow this is God, and He is really mean. At the very least, He's very mean. And at the very least... He seems kind of, you know, vengeful. I mean, it's like, is this like an overkill for him? So let's talk about that. And let me do this. 
Because the truth is, when it comes to the Amalekites and the Canaanites, we can spend weeks on this. Let me say a couple things about the Amalekites that you may not know, that you need to know. Here's the first thing. The Amalekites were really the first group that attacked Israel when they left Egypt. And so you go back to Exodus and Deuteronomy, you'll find there when this two million, two, two million men march going out of Egypt happens, Amalek comes and, and Israel is marching through. They're, they're really displaced at this time. They're going to the promised land. And what the Amalekites do is this. They wait to the very end of this formation and they find all those who are weak, who are tired and weary and wipe them out. Okay, so before you think the Amalekites are really cool people that are just good old boys, this group of individuals were bent on the annihilation of Israel. They, they were bent on annihilation. Because we, we, we see them all through the history. We come here, it's, it's 300 years later, and guess what? They still want to destroy Israel. And God said way back then, 300 years ago, I will deal with the Amalekites. They have... They have harmed my people, and I will deal with them. He made that promise. 300 years goes by, guess what? They've not repented. We come to chapter 15, and they are still harassing Israel. They are still seeking their annihilation. Okay? And so, you need to be aware of that, because that, that is what's going on. Not only that, you, you come down to chapter 15, verse 18, and, and, and Samuel says about the Amalekites, the Lord sent thee on a journey, going utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites. The point is, it was this generation. They were sinners as well. Okay? And this is just, let me throw this out to you. And, and I'm not, again, you can do what you want with this, but this, this phrase to destroy man, woman, and child, okay, we've heard it before in the Bible. Um, and, and there are scholars who, who talk about this and d- debate this. And, and, I don't, and, I don't, and we'll talk about this some other time. I just want to throw this out to you. Um, Saul comes back and says, and, and, and Joshua did the same thing, we have destroyed all the Canaanites, we have destroyed all the Amalekites. And you know what we find later on in 1 Samuel? There are more Amalekites. We find them in David's reign. We come to 1 Chronicles and there are more Amalekites. And if you're doing the, the, the history here and you come to the book of Esther, the guy who wants to wipe out all of the Israelites has an Amalekite background. So, it could be possible that when Saul says this or Scripture uses this, it's a stock expression to say, we annihilated everyone. We use it today. We wiped them out. And that may be what's happening here, but regardless of what's happening here, God says these people need to be destroyed. Okay? So let's talk now about this idea of, of, of Scripture here. And let me just say something to you. Scripture is true and it's not sanitized. The Bible paints it for what it is. We need to be aware of that. And here's what we find. We find a God that takes vengeance against sin and those who harm his people. And I want you to know something. His vengeance is just. Whether you like it or I like it, the God of whole earth will do right. And and when it comes to God defending his people, and that's what he's doing here, the God of heaven will judge all those that harm his people. 
sometimes we think of God as this, you know, he's just, he's just sort of out there and he's big and he's this. And, but you know how the Bible describes him to us? The Bible describes God for us sometimes as an angry father or as a jealous lover. You think, well, that's a bad thing. That's why Oprah Winfrey left the faith because she didn't want to deal with a God who is jealous. Can I tell you something? There's something good about a right kind of jealousy. If I'm married to my wife, and I am, and, and, and we have a relationship, and she doesn't care that I'm out playing the field still after 28 years or 27, almost 27, we're getting older, I don't know, it's been a long time. And she's not jealous about that. Something's wrong with our relationship, isn't it? I mean, there'd be something wrong, seriously wrong there. Instead, the claws come out. She wants to scratch someone's eyes out. I mean, that, that's normal, right? That's because that's our relationship. It is sacred. It belongs to us. There should be a jealousy. And isn't there something about anger that is right and righteous and it should happen? You and I should be angry at injustice. We should be angry at sin. We should be angry at people that are abused and neglected. It should make our blood boil. And that's our God. And our God says, I will defend my people. God's people were crushed, abused, and listen to me, God's people continue to be crushed and abused today. And we want to comprehend this in our environment, in our atmosphere, in our culture. But you step outside of the Western culture, and you go to Iran, Korea, China, the Sudan, North Korea, Saudi Arabia, you will find that God's people continue to be crushed. And His vengeance, whether we think this or not, is a comfort to His people. Because we know that someday God will avenge all sin and all wrong, and He will triumph. And some of you right now are saying, Pastor, that's exactly what I have a problem with in the Old Testament. It's not just atheists. It's not just agnostics. There are believers who say, man, I read the Old Testament, and the God of the Old Testament is mean. He's angry. He's always looking to wipe somebody out. What's with that? He's a God of wrath and a God of vengeance. But we come to the New Testament, and here's the God who is loving, kind, and merciful. It's Jesus. I want to stay away from the Old Testament. I'm just a New Testament guy. I'm a New Testament girl. Let me say something to you this morning. Uh, that painting of... The Old Testament God being full of wrath, the New Testament God being full of love, is wrong. It's, it's not right. How many times already have we gone through the Bible, and as we've gone through the Old... We've been in the Old Testament for, what, eight years now? We, right? And how many times do we find the Old Testament? Here is a God who, over and over again, in the Old Testament, He loves His people. He provides for His people. He delivers His people. They blow it time for the umpteen time they rebel and God forgives and cleanses and blesses them. We've seen that. And i got to tell you something. The God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. And what you find in the New Testament is not just a God of love. You find both wrath and love ratcheted up. You check it out. Go try to find the doctrine of hell in the Old Testament. It's not delineated. Old Testament Jews were, were really fuzzy about that. I mean, sure, death and grave, and, but they didn't, they didn't have all that covered. You get to the New Testament, guess what happened? Jesus Christ, the most loving man on the planet, says, listen to me, I don't want to talk that much about heaven. I want to tell you about hell and destruction and death and the wrath to come. Jesus speaks more about wrath and judgment than he ever speaks about heaven. 
we better recalibrate how we think about this God of ours. Okay? Because that's the God of the Bible, Old and New Testament. A matter of fact, isn't that the gospel of Jesus Christ? We say the gospel of Jesus Christ is good news. Can somebody turn real quick to Isaiah 61? Is somebody there and your, your Bible's open already? Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2. Somebody who can read and not afraid to read in public and can read pretty loud. Brother Corinthia, you're moving there, okay? Brother John will get that in a minute. But I want you to know, we, we say the gospel, the gospel is good news, and we do. The gospel is wonderful news of grace and love and mercy, forgiveness, reconciliation. It's what we glory in. This proclamation, this day of the Lord, that salvation is coming. But you, but you need to know the whole story. Because the good news of the gospel means very little without the bad news of the gospel. Brother John, if you were there, Isaiah 61, would you read verses 1 and 2? And now listen carefully. Most of it's really good, but listen toward the end. Okay? Great stuff in there. He said, but wait, don't stop short. Part of the day of the Lord is a day of vengeance. Listen to me. This God that we serve, the God of the Bible, the God of Old and New Testament, Yahweh, Jehovah, the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, He is a God of love and mercy and grace, and He is also a God of wrath, judgment, and justice. And if we don't get that right, we are immature in our thinking about this God that we serve. He is not some mamby-pamby deity that doesn't care what's happening. He will judge sin. He will judge all sin. He will judge your sin. He will judge my sin. Because he knows sin is a scourge. And whatever sin touches, it destroys. And someday God will put it in its place. And so this morning, listen to me. We cannot deny divine judgment. Because if we do, we distort the truth of the Bible and we distort the God that we serve. He's a God of justice. And i got to tell you, it might not help you. Some of you folks are going to struggle through this in the, in the Old Testament. But the fact is, God is a giver of life. He's a taker of life. We are born, all born into this world as sinners. We are sinners by nature. We are sinners by choice. We all deserve death. Every one of us. I want what I deserve. As a sinner against a righteous and holy God, you deserve hell. We all deserve it. And what's happened here with the Amalekites is a small picture of the last days. We read earlier about um, Lord Jesus in, in Revelation 19. Revelation chapter 6, here are the souls of, of men and women who have been killed for their faith. And here's what they cry under the altar. How long, Lord? How long before you avenge your people? And God says, a little while. When we come to Revelation 19, and guess what happens? A little while has come. And God says, my day of vengeance is here. And so listen to me. We need to be careful. Too many of us are immature in our faith. We're listening to guys on television and radio who are talking about God's love. That's all they ever talk about. That's not God. That's incomplete. That's childish. There's more. There's more to you than that. If you're the person who's always, oh, they're just so sweet and kind and happy, they never get upset about anything, then who are you? It doesn't upset you that someone sins against you or your children or the cause of Christ. It's problematic. And so, the first thing we want to tackle, and maybe we didn't do a good job at it, but I feel better about it, is this idea of the Amalekites. Okay? And, and I'm sure all your answers aren't, aren't covered. But you need to wrestle through that. It's a process. My wife and I were talking the other day about forgiveness. And, and, and we were told as kids, we'll just forgive somebody and be done with it. Has that worked for you on forgiveness? Is that how, if, if that's you and you say, oh, I forgive you and you're done... 
You're really doing well. I can't. It takes me a long time. It's a process. Things come back to my mind. I've got to go back to Calvary. I've got to remember my own sins. I say, God, forgive me. It's a process. And then you work through the process. And when you do, you're stronger. You know him better. You know yourself better. You understand the gospel. This is a process. I want to encourage you today. Don't shy away from it. You should have problems and difficulties when you read this book. This is God's book. And you should wrestle through those. Don't skip it. Don't ignore it. All right? Read it and say, God, help me. I don't understand. I struggle with this. What's happening here? Help me to know who you are. We must know the God that is. He is a God who will justly judge all sin. And that means this morning He's going to judge your sin. He will judge my sin. And unless you are protected by the blood of Jesus Christ, the wrath of God will pour down upon your head. That's God. And, and if you do not like it, you can create your own universe out of nothing and make your own rules. This is the God we serve. There's a second problem here that's been mentioned about repenting. God says in, in verse number 11, I repent over making Saul king. It, it, I'm repenting over that. He says the same thing at the end of the chapter, I think verse 35. It repents of the Lord. And then he says in about verse 29, uh, no, God's not a man. He doesn't lie. He doesn't repent. It's like, okay, wait a minute. That's the problem. The Bible's full of contradictions. We can't even trust it. Right in the same chapter, we had that problem going on. Let's talk about that just quickly. Um, quickly. Um, this phrase, look at verse 11, if you would, quickly. It says, It repenteth me that I have set up Saul to be king. And the word repent means to make sorry, to console oneself. We use it to have a change of mind. We talk about that often. Repentance is a change of mind, leads to a change of behavior. But God here is not repenting of sin. He can't. But does that phrase, it repented me, what I've done here, does that ring a bell to you? Have you ever heard that before? Because that's not the first time we find that phrase. Where else do we find that? Do you know, Bruce? Yeah, in, in Noah, Genesis chapter 6, verse 6, where God says, I repent that I've created man, and it says there that his heart is grieved. It's grieved. Let me read a couple statements to you um, that I think will help you with this. In verse 11, what we find here is this, that God is aware of, a res- aware of and responsive to choices made by people. He reacts favorably only when people choose the option of obedience to the divine will. Anything less produces grief in heaven and loss and pain on earth. In verse number 11, God is not flustered over the lack of foresight, but he is grieved over the lack of obedience. I want you to talk about this God we serve. He is not indifferent to how we act and how we behave. And we'll pull that together in just a second. That's verse number 11, verse number 35. In verse 20, 29, when he says, God's not a man, he does not lie. This is not a threat, but irrevocable decision. He is not vacillating on his purposes. What he has decreed, he has decreed there is no give. God is not fickle in his ways. He says, this is the deal. It's the deal. He's not changed here. He says, listen, I decreed this. I'm not changing my mind. In Saul's case, this repenting means I am grieved over what you've done. Listen to me. And I think we... Is God a God that repents or not? Well, yes and no. He does both. He is not fickle. He is firm. But He is not indifferent to what we do on this planet. Some of us think that our God is this cold slab of concrete. 
And he's impervious to, to anything that we do, you know, our apostasies and our sin. That is not our God. Listen to me. His heart is this. I am grieved over what Saul has done. This is the God of heaven. It's not a lack of foresight for him. He does know the end from the beginning. It's his response to Saul's action. He is grieved by that. He is grieved. It's not, oh well, you win some, you lose some. We see the intensity of the divine sorrow over human sin and over our sin. This is the God we serve. And we should struggle through these things. It's not a contradiction. It's him responding to Saul and being grieved over it. And it's him saying, this is my decree. I will not change my mind. So what does that mean for us today? It means that this same God is the same God that we serve. And he is grieved by your sin and my sin. He's not indifferent to that this morning. And we want to make these distinctions and act like he doesn't care. He does care. When we break His law, when we turn from Him as His children, we go our own way, He is grieved by those things. Hey, husbands, here's where the rubber meets the road, right? When you're unkind to your wife, as a believer, who is a lover like Christ of the church, when you do that, I want want you to know something. God is not like, oh, win some, lose some. He is grieved by your actions. This God who is just, who is a God of wrath, who is a God of love and mercy. He is grieved by that. Some of you ladies, you treat everybody else better than you treat your own husband. God is grieved by that. He's grieved. Some of us, we treat people like they don't matter. We dismiss them. We, we treat them with disdain. They're idiots and stupid. Can I tell you something? The God of heaven is grieved by that. He's grieved. He's grieved when we sin. He's grieved when we turn from Him. He's grieved when we disobey His law. He's grieved when we lie against the truth. He's grieved when we reproach His name. This is the God of heaven. And so this morning, maybe we open up a can of worms. Maybe there are more questions than answers. I don't know, but here's what I'm telling you. It's okay. It's okay. We need to be stretched and who this God is. And I want to tell you something. The more we know of who He truly is, the more we fall down, worship, and adore Him. We might not be able to put all the pieces together. When we see the God who is, can I tell you something? In my own personal study of the Old Testament, I have learned more about God than I have my entire life. Because it's not just the Old New Testament. It's not just, it, it's who He is. And there should be times when we're troubled. And what I'm telling you is, if you read your Bible through from cover to cover and you're never troubled, you're not reading your Bible through. There should be something to just stop you dead in your tracks and say, wait a minute, what's that, what's that about? And when we come to those places, we ought to say, okay, God, here I am. You are God, I am not. You know the end from the beginning. I don't. But I want to know you better. I want to trust you. And I want to see you for who you are. This is the God we serve. Is he a God of love and mercy and grace? Absolutely. Is he a God of wrath and justice and vengeance? Absolutely. And we can bow down and say, God, thou art worthy to receive glory and honor and praise because you alone are God. Simple word of prayer this morning.